0: let's pray together Father now may as as we bow before you may it represent our submission to you <coughs> excuse me our teachability our willingness to hear and then by your grace to do what you ask of us today we need grace for that and we ask it now in Christ's name amen As we come off the great season of gift-giving in our land, uh, almost everybody here has wrestled with the question, how do you show someone how much you love them? And of course, in the recent season, it's all about gifts. That's how you show someone that you love them. And there are certain themes, certain gifts that show up over and over again in our media. Um, For instance, guys, you've probably seen this one. Uh, Some jewelry store runs this one. It's called the She's Gonna Cry store. And that was always a little unnerving to me. If you've ever given your wife a gift and had her cry, it's a little unnerving at first. You're not sure why she's crying. Um, But that's their theme. And, of course, diamonds are always the way that guys are supposed to show that. For for women this season, you're supposed to give your husband a (laughs) Lexus. And... um, if you'll notice the despairing look on the man's face, that's because she just put him in debt for five years. the tune About, <laughs> about 50, 75 grand. Surprise, honey. <laughs> You're enslaved. You know. <laughs> Enjoy the ride. Um, so some kind of special gift is how we show uh, how much we love someone. Maybe a, a special trip, a special outing. You know, something as simple as a favorite restaurant. You might ante up for that uh, European vacation or a Caribbean cruise. Um, How do you show someone how much you love them? Let me up the ante a little bit. How do you show someone how much you love them for the last time? If it's your last chance to say, I love you. How would you say it? What kind of gift would you give then? What kind of trip would you take together? And I, I raise this uh, because this is really the moment that we are stepping into this morning in the life of Jesus with his beloved disciples. Um, in John chapter 13, if you want to open up your Bibles there, this is what we find. It was just before the Passover feast... And Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. It was time for him to die. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. It's just before the Passover feast. This is not just some random holiday marker, but this is something that the people of God had been celebrating for centuries. The great deliverance of God by the blood of a lamb spread on a doorpost in Egypt that spared them from the wrath of God upon their their sins. And for centuries they'd been looking forward to the coming of the Messiah who would do that fully. And so now what we know when he says it's just before the Passover feast, we know this really was the Passover feast. This was the feast that they had longed for for centuries This was the time when the Messiah would shed His blood for their freedom, for their cleansing. And so this marker is the marker of Jesus' death. Scholars tell us that this is the night before He went to the cross. It's just 15, 18 hours away from this that Jesus is going to go to the cross. And as that weight bears down upon Him, Jesus determines to show His friends the full extent of His love for them, to love them to the end, to the fullest. And in one sense, it's His last opportunity to do that. Now, what's in picture here ultimately is what He's going to do on the morrow, on the next day, on the cross. That's going to be Jesus' greatest demonstration of His love for His friends. But... Before that, it's like there's a little preview, a little trailer that anticipates the cross and points to the cross in extraordinarily beautiful ways. This is how he shows them the full extent of his love. In verses 2 and 3, the evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God... And was returning from God. And so as the servants come and go, serving Jesus with his band of disciples, there, there are a number of things John tells us that were pressing on Jesus. His impending death, most significantly, his love for his friends, Judas' betrayal, the power and authority given him by God, and his explicit trust in the fulfillment of the Father's plans. So there's a sense of urgency in what Jesus is about to do. This is a significant act. If you've ever had a final conversation, a final encounter with a loved one, you know how significant those are. And so Jesus has this opportunity, this last opportunity to show his love for his friends. And he does it with an extraordinary, really a strange to us symbolic act. In verses 4 and 5, he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So what Jesus did, he left his place and he went to his disciples and then when he When he'd gotten up, he removed his outer garments, okay? Now, I don't know about you, but that's getting a little weird for me, right at that point. That's awkward, okay? Believe me, if I went and removed my outer garments, that's what Jesus did. It left only his undergarments. That's strange. That, I don't know what to do with that. And you can imagine in a first century Jewish culture, far more modest than ours, how unsettling that is. Not just because of what he took off, though, but because of what he put on. So he wrapped that towel around his waist, and then it was obvious to everyone what he was doing. He put on the attire of a servant. He was dressing like a slave. And if that's not enough, then he took this basin, and he approached them. And it became obvious what he was going to do. He was going to wash their feet. Jesus was going to kneel down behind every one of those disciples and he was going to wash their feet. Now, understand that in their culture, um, peers do not wash each other's feet. That's a slave's job. In fact, uh, it was such a menial, demeaning task to have to wash their feet that they, a, lot of, a lot of people considered that too low a task for a Jewish slave to do, that that was only for foreign slaves. That was for the lowest of the low. And so Jesus approached them, and he was going to wash their feet. How would you feel if he approached you? Well, Peter could barely handle it. If you can go to that next slide. It says that he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus practically has to arm wrestle Peter to get him to let him wash his feet. It wasn't right for the king to wash his disciples' feet, for the teacher, for the Lord to wash the disciples' feet. I've been trying to think about what what would be a modern-day parallel to foot washing. Um, We don't really have anything quite like it. Something that that is so low that you don't want to do it yourself. In fact, if you can, you hire somebody to do that for you. And so I'm thinking maybe something like changing out a bedpan. We don't do that if we don't have to. We hire some caregiver to do that for us. You sure don't do that with a guest. You definitely don't do it with a guest of honor. Hi, welcome. Want to change my bedpan? We don't do that. That's not the way things are done. There's something wildly inappropriate about that. Um, There's something upside down about that. And that's what Jesus has just done. He has just turned their world upside down. He he goes on in the next few verses, if you'll advance to that next one for me. Jesus answers Peter, he says, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not everyone was clean. Jesus now changes the imagery here. Foot washing is no longer he's focusing on the humility of it. He's focusing on the cleansing of it. And in this fashion, this action points directly to the cross and what Jesus is doing there. That he is Cleansing. From, from sin, by His great work on the cross. Um, and He kind of points out in two, in two ways this happens. There are some who need to be fully, wholly cleansed for the first time. And then there are some who have already had what Jesus is calling a bath, and they only need their foot washed on a regular basis, their feet washed. Um, and so, you know, this morning as we walk through this, know that some of you here this morning are in either one of those categories. Maybe you've already believed and trusted in Christ's work on the cross on your behalf to cleanse you from your sins. But you need ongoing grace from the cross on a daily basis. What Jesus is saying that foot washing is like. But some of you this morning have never been cleansed from your sin. The stuff in your past that you're ashamed of or you ought to be. You're still carrying that around in some form or fashion. And Jesus here, with this action, is pointing you towards what He's going to do on the cross and the hope, the sure hope, that you can be cleansed and forgiven if you will believe in Him as your Savior, trust in Him as your Lord. The book of Hebrews picks up this um, concept. It says, How much more then will the blood of Christ shed on the cross, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself unblemished to God, Cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God. In faith, in Christ, you can have your conscience cleansed. You can be free. And that can happen today. In fact, I'm going to give you a chance. before you leave this room, at the close of the service, we'll pray together, and if you've never done that, you'll have a chance to do it then. Best decision ever not to carry your sin out of his room. Jesus, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place, and asked his disciples, do you understand what I have done? See, the object lesson is over, and the question for his disciples, both in that room and in this room, is do you get it? Do you get it? Not just here, but here, with your lives, with your hands and feet. Do you get it? He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. See, even though Jesus is highly exalted, He is both Lord in the fullest sense and Teacher in the greatest sense. He has just become their servant in the lowest sense because of His love for them and His trust in the Father's plan. And so now that symbol becomes an example for them and Jesus calls them and He calls every one of us to follow Him, to be like Him, to love like Him, and to show it in humble service, just like Him. To follow Christ is to humbly serve. Do you get it? Do you do it? Now, at this point in the room, there is likely a spouse somewhere who's leaning over to their spouse and whispering, I thought this was about marriage. What does this have to do with marriage? If that's your spouse, you have my permission to whack them upside the head. Okay? This has everything to do with marriage. This is what it means to follow Christ in the marriage relationship. And um, just to add a little bit more practical uh, feet to this, let me walk through three simple ways that this should affect and shape our marriage. First of all, notice that this act that Jesus does is an expression of his love. It is a willing expression of love offered freely. It is not a cranky, grumbly, door-slamming, foot-stomping, eye-rolling act of Compliance. It is a willing act of love. It is a voluntary act. It is not done under compulsion. So, you should be a volunteer in your home. You should volunteer to do the chores your spouse hates with a smile. You should volunteer to do the chores your spouse needs. We're not just talking about, you know, cleaning things or taking care of things. Your great act of humble service here may be giving the gift of forgiveness. Or the gift of an apology. Or the gift of a really good, honest conversation. Or of real companionship. Where you're giving all of you undivided. Attentive, listening, willing, available. So, this is to be an expression, willing expression of your love in your marriage for your spouse. Secondly, this act will be beneath you. It will humble you. It will be inconvenient to you. Some of you have PhDs. And you're, you're brilliant, and you're learning ancient, dead languages no one speaks anymore. And you come home, and you find yourself face-to-face with the stinkiest, dirtiest diaper you've ever seen. And it's beneath you. You're too important for this. And Jesus thought you would say that. And so that's why he said in verse 13 now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your stinking feet. It's there, it's in the Greek. Look it up stinking feet. You also should wash one another's stinking feet. It is beneath you, it will humble you, it will be inconvenient. We have, um, after a number of years at our home, we have kind of a division of labor that we've just fallen into. I don't know that it was, um, you know, premeditated, uh, but there are things that Steph does and there are things that I do. Um, Steph, for instance, uh, folds laundry and sometimes she conscripts the children to help her. Me, mostly, I watch. Okay, That's kind of how the division of labor works with the whole laundry folding thing. and And there are... There are some good reasons for that. There are three reasons that, I, that this falls out this way. I feel a need to defend myself at this point. Um, first of all, I'm really bad at it. Okay, I am really bad at it. Last night, Steph's uh, sitting late. She folds late at night, usually when the TV's on. We're watching a ball game or in the news or something. And so she'll fold clothes, and I'll watch. And so last night, with this sermon looming on my mind, I decided I would help fold the clothes, and I... I picked up a pair of Abby's jeans, jeans, this is, you know, jeans, you just fold them. I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure out how to fold the jeans. See, Steph is like a folding artist. When she's done, it looks like, you know, it's been ironed. It's right from the store. Me, it looks like, it looks like you just wadded it up, basically. So I'm not good at it. Secondly, on the grounds that it's bad stewardship, I refuse to fold undergarments of any kind. Um, See, undergarments were meant to be wadded and stuffed. And to fold them is just one step away from ironing them, which is some kind of neurosis. Okay. So, so uh, because I'm bad at it and I'm, it, it's bad stewardship of my time to fold certain items, um, I, I don't participate. There is a third reason, and that is honestly uh, because I'm selfish and I don't love WoW. Well especially when I'm tired. That's why, honestly, I don't fall laundry. I'm tired. I don't want to. But here's the thing. How emotionally drained do you think Christ was just half a day away from the cross? When he washed his disciples' stinking feet. When was the last time you saw something around your house and you thought, oh, she'll get that. He'll take care of that. Or or worse, you thought, he better take care of that. She should take care of that. And you just left it. Even if it's beneath you. Serve with humility as an expression of love. Even if they don't deserve it. Which is really the kind of the third connecting point. Out of this for us today in our marriages. Um, These acts need to be done without merit. Regardless of merit. Whether the other person deserves this act. Or not? Do you realize whose feet Jesus was were, were washing there? Peter's. Peter would deny him three times within the next few hours. He washed the feet of the twelve. They would all desert him in the next few hours. And of course, we've already seen twice. Judas is highlighted here. Jesus washed Judas' feet, who would betray him. And all of that would unfold within the next 24 hours from when Jesus washed their feet. Did anyone deserve to be... In that, in that room on that night, did anyone deserve to be served by King Jesus? Anyone in this room deserve to be served by King Jesus? Anyone? Again, I, I think that Jesus anticipates our objection. When we say but I'm the one who's right this time. They're the one who wronged. They never served me. I've outserved them 8.5 to 1. I have an Excel shed spreadsheet documenting it. Right here. I keep track. I keep score. And Jesus, again, he anticipates it. He says in verse um, 16, I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Essentially, Jesus said, if I did it, you have no excuse not to do it. You are without excuse. If the King of kings and Lord of lords, the creator and sustainer of all that is, will disrobe in front of his disciples and don the garb of a servant, performing the lowliest of tasks, are there really tasks that we are too good for? Are there really things that were too important to take time to do? Really? Honestly? Men, it is time to get off your lazy boy throne and serve. Serve like Christ. See, this is what bears the gospel to our families. Jesus does this act... Because it points to the cross. The great demonstration of the love of God. And if that's not enough, in verse 17, Jesus says, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. If you do them. It's not enough to know them. The blessing of God comes if you do them. Loving service, Jesus' promises, brings the blessing of God on your life. It will bring it on your marriage. Honestly, some of you are in dire straits in your marriage. It is not a joy to you. And one of the reasons for that may well be you violated this promise of Jesus. You have failed to serve in humility in your home. And just as Jesus says, if you'll do this, I promise you'll be blessed. We could turn it around and say, if you don't do this, I promise you won't. Jesus himself would say this over in Luke 22. I am among you as one who serves. May it be said of us as well. In our homes, in our marriages especially. So Jesus now is finished with the bowl and the water. And he has risen up and put back on his garment and seated himself at the table again. And today he is saying to you and to me, do you understand what I have done? Do you understand? Then do for one another what I have done for you. Let's pray.